1: Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at Squeezed.com. Welcome to the Rerooted Podcast with Francesca Maxime, trauma-sensitive mindfulness meditation teacher and poet. Together, we'll take a closer look at approaches to transforming trauma with insights from psychology, neuroscience, spirituality, social justice, and the creative arts. Join Francesca and her guests for an exploration of our shared connection and how we can cultivate greater compassion for ourselves and for others. If you'd like to support Francesca and the Rerooted podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward Francesca. Hi, everyone. I'm Francesca Maxime. Thank you so much for joining us uh, for this edition of the Rerooted podcast here on Ron Be Here Now Network, where we really try to sort of re-root back into our own wholeness, our own collective wisdom, um, sort of all the things that, that are already there that we sometimes forget about, like Mother Earth. And you can see I have this beautiful tree behind me um, that was painted by my Friend Claudia Cotruzza French, and it's just to sort of indicate that we're, you know, we're root, we're 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 sort of uh, the 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 stock, we're the branches, the fruit, and what seeds are we planning going forward, and also what seeds have we sort of inherited. And along those lines, um to do a deeper dive into that, <clears throat> today's guest I'm thrilled to have, as I'm sitting on Nipmuc territory here in Massachusetts, uh uh, Dr. Uh, Richard Schwartz, Dick Schwartz, uh, the creator of the Internal Family Systems Model, and um, have interviewed Dick uh, in the past, but really love how the Internal Family Systems Model is evolving to include uh, cultural and collective trauma and legacy burdens. So welcome, Dick. Thank you so much for joining me today here on Rebooted.
2: Thank you, Francesca. Always great to talk to you.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so... Th- I guess for uh, without getting into a whole explanation of uh, internal family systems work um, I'll just maybe summarize to say that you have a a, a model that emphasizes what you call self energy with a capital s, which is sort of your your highest embodied connected wide presencing um, even spiritual perhaps self. Um, that is the wisdom body, the, the the grander cosmic, you know, sort of body. This is my language, not your language, but it's your your essential self, your deepest self, the one who knows, the one who is responsive, appropriately and discerning, and not reactive, the one who cares, and that who is compassionate to all the parts of us that mm-hmm. can get activated, the the places in us that are. Um, maybe a little wounded and need a little uh, tenderness, which include complex developmental uh, family of origin, trauma issues that could be about abuse or neglect or those kinds of things. It could be about um, fears we've developed throughout our lives through situational, um, you know, kind of issues that have to do with an accident or a a thing like we're experiencing now, this sort of collective trauma around the pandemic um, or any number of things, but that these parts um, are always sort of mm, there getting a little bit activated and then maybe taking over the wheels (laughs) and then driving the bus. And we're just like, oh my God, I went off on this direction and I yelled at my wife or my husband or my boss or my kid or my whatever it is, or I shut down and I ran away or whatever it is. And your model is so beautiful because it kind of leans in to say, oh, let me understand the whole person of this part, how it came into to be, what it's trying to do, why it's showing up. And let me do that from the place of my self-energy and my centeredness so that I'm in relationship with and to all these parts and that I develop the calm, the compassion, the care, and that as I do that work inside, then perhaps I can show up with more understanding. They can be unburdened, as you say, or healed mm-hmm. in some way. And then I can move into the larger parts of the world and expand my view of how I can bring into that self-energy while holding the compassion of my triggered sometimes parts that are healing um, and then bring in that more of that healing to the larger, uh, the larger world
2: and community that I'm in.
1: Is that kind of, sort of?
2: That's very impressive. Yeah. That's... <laughs> that's right on yeah um the only thing i might add is just uh that these parts are little sacred beings basically for me and um you know other systems call them less personal things like schemas and uh complexes and so on but uh, i'm a kind of crusader for their person but and Also that there aren't any bad ones, that the parts of us that have been demonized in our culture carry burdens, along the lines of what you were talking about in terms of extreme beliefs and emotions that came from traumas, but the burdens aren't the part. That's a big mistake that many, many systems have made to assume the burden is part. Yeah. So the rage isn't a bundle of rage. It's a part that tried to protect you and stood up to your abuser, and as a result, took on the abuser's energy to protect you from the abuser, and now carries all this rage. So, But that's not the nature of the part at all. So just uh, very much along the lines of what you're saying. And a nice description of self. Self can be an internal and an external leader. And... I'm also very much into the parallels in terms of long lines, What you were saying how you relate to these parts will play out in terms of how you relate to people who resemble those parts. So if you can have compassion for your rage, then when somebody is raging, your protectors aren't going to take over. You're going to see the pain that's driving that person and have compassion for them. So on and so on. Or if, if you can be, with your what I call exiles, these vulnerable, hurting parts that feel worthless, if you can be with them in a loving way, then when somebody is in their exiles, you can be that way uh, with them too. So, uh, so along the lines of the theme of this, that's that's the bigger picture. Yeah, yeah
1: I think you just hit that hit the nail on the head with that. Um, Thank you, because the what I've been bumping into and um, trying to do some of the work that um, is addressing collective structural trauma, um, in particular around issues of um, dominance, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, racism, you you say the four uh, cultural burdens, racism, patriarchy, materialism and individualism, and I'll let you unpack those, um, but that that these are all models of, in the Buddhist language or the mindfulness na- language, we would call greed or craving or never enough, meaning I can never be on top of the heap of any of these things. I'm striving that the root of my dis-ease, if you will, um, is, is coming from a place of trying to be something that's achieving, which in your words are all there because they're beautiful little sacred beings that are trying to protect us and make sure that you know we're okay. So you know, in my family of origin, if I'm getting an A and not a C or a B, then maybe I'm safer than if I'm getting you know that kind of thing. Whatever it is that there's this striving piece that can um, can get in the way. So along those lines, um, if you would please introduce for folks the way in which the IFS model takes those uh, cultural uh, collective burdens. burdens. Yeah,
2: thanks. Yeah, so the idea is that uh, we have all these parts and before they're burdened, they're wonderful. Then they become burdens. And some of the burdening comes from direct experience of traumas. So we call those personal burdens. And all of those experiences Go right to the heart of these parts and, and drive the way they operate thereafter, like a virus. Pardon the expression you say. Yeah. And then we also take in, often unconsciously, what are called legacy burdens, and these come into us either through our direct lineage and maybe our beliefs and emotions that have come down the generations. Uh, from some event that happens, some kind of a famine or some kind of a war, event that happened in your family lineage decades or centuries ago, and just travel on down and you you take in some of that. But also we carry burdens from our ethnic groups or from the culture in which we live. And as you say, I identify those four as the primary drivers of the United States. uh, I wrote a second edition of my original book, and in it I have a chapter on all of this, uh, where I took the United States and tried to look at it as, as an individual, as a trauma survivor. And it has its own exiles, more than ever, in its history now, because the disparity in income is greater than it's ever been. So in addition to racism and all the other reasons that we tend to exile people in our country, there's now this huge gap in in income. And whenever any system of any level has a lot of exiles who are hurting and raw, then you're gonna have a lot of very extreme protective parts as we do in our government now. And protectors are gonna polarize with each other as they have. and But to get to the base of all that, a lot of it is just driven by these these four uh, cultural legacy burdens. And one of the mistakes that people make individually, and also in countries and internationally, is to go to war against those burdens. So for example, while the anti-racism movement, for example, has done a lot of good in terms of raising people's consciousness uh, and uh, bringing these issues to the surface. It's also taught individuals, particularly white people, to be very, very ashamed of their racist part. And there's nobody in our culture who doesn't have who didn't absorb some of that white supremacy belief system. And so we all have that. Attached to some part of us. And when you are so ashamed of that part that you wind up locking it away and pretending you don't have it, then it becomes implicit racism. And it has this underground effect on your thoughts and your ac- actions, uh, which make it even more sinister in a way because you're not even aware of how you're doing things. So, my approach is to. Go to. I would encourage you to go to your racist part and actually uh, get all the parts that hate it to separate, parts that fear it to separate, to the point where you can be in self in the way that we describe. And be at least curious. Curiosity is one of the eight C's of self-leadership. Uh, so you start there. You just, let me see what this is about. And you start to talk to that part about the racist race's burden it carries and where it got it and what's it afraid would happen if it didn't carry this for you. And at some point, it decides, often spontaneously, that it doesn't want to carry this anymore. And then you help ship, just ship it out of your system. And we have a process we call unburdening for doing that, We're actually sending these burdens out of the system, at which point the part would transform and uh, become who it's was originally des- designed to be. And it's my belief, and I've done this in a, a small scale, but it's my belief that it's possible to unburden large groups of people uh, simultaneously. And I'm so I'm, I'm moving in that direction. And I've done it with, with maybe groups of 40 different retreats and so on. And, had everybody go in and find their racist parts, or their individualistic parts, or their materialistic parts, or their, um, what was the other one?
1: Well, uh, I guess it would be sexist or patriarchal or patriarchal, misogynistic. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you know, find out from a place of initially curiosity and then ultimately compassion, and finding out about the part that carries it and what is really to give it up and then usually there's a way to negotiate giving it up hmm. so it's a very different approach than the anti this and the anti that you know approach and, and that plays out also externally
1: Right, 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 which which I so love and is aligned with sort of my mindfulness trainings and, and my, you know, in the sense of, you know, <laughs> and I mean, we've heard it said again and again, you know, um, you can't fight fire with fire or, you know, only love can heal hate or something along those lines. And um, leaning into this whole idea of care, curiosity, like first there's the acknowledgement, like, hey. This is the soup we're in. We have to like reckon with that. Mm -hmm. This, you know, materialism, individualism.
2: Yeah. uh, So, so that would be the C word, clarity. So you you have there's no need to deny the fact that these exist, and you can have clarity to see what they're, you know, where they come from and so on. Uh, And then another C word is courage. Then you have the courage. To act, to to do something about it, uh, but you do it from those C words too. So that even when you're confronting somebody, which isn't one like of those C words, you're doing it from compassion rather than from the parts of you that that uh, hate that that burden.
1: Right, and and I what I love what you're saying, which again aligns with, you know, what I think a lot of our viewers and listeners might resonate with is in mindfulness, and I'm sure you know this too, is that when we are sitting in meditation, for example, the goal is, is you know, they say, oh, you just watch your thoughts pass by like you're in a cloud. And so in theory, you're coming from this self-energy place of the one who's the noticing, the knower, the knowing, the, the witnessing body, right? And that you're sort of seeing them come through what I think a lot of people maybe, they sort of stop at this place of, oh yeah, they're just coming through, they don't really mean anything, they're not the full fusion or identity of who I am, I'm separate enough from them, I can create some healthy distance so I don't feel overwhelmed and consumed. But that next piece of then leaning in and not getting caught in the discursive thinking of the story, Mm -hmm. but being curious about their origin story, is the part that I feel your model so supports in a way of, as they say in mindfulness language, notice if you're pulling toward and craving more of it, which also is a safety thing, pushing away, I can't have any of it, I don't want it, it's too much, or I'm going to be delusional or zone out about it, which kind of speaks to the clarity that you're talking about, or lack thereof, and then find out, ah, that's why that was there to protect me here, or to safe, keep me safe mm-hmm. here, or to whatever, and now I can lean in in this way using your model to to sort of have that distance, but have it more, meaning that it's a part of
2: me. Mm-hmm
1: but that it's not, it's not
2: fused. Yeah, it's not blended is our term. You're right. not bl- blended with that part. Yeah, so that's very similar to the beginning of IFS process. So, uh, and I'm glad to hear that about mindfulness because my stereotype of a lot of mindfulness is, yeah, notice these ephemeral thoughts and emotions as they pass by, but don't bother with them because they're just... These ephemeral thoughts and emotions.
1: That's a misunderstanding of the teaching that's been perpetuated, unfortunately.
2: Yeah. Well, it's pretty widespread misunderstanding. And, yes. Uh, for me, it's not compassionate to watch suffering beings parade by, just say, hi, okay, keep going. Right. <laughs> the, the compassionate thing is to do what you striving describing, which is. First, to separate from the parts of you that we have an attitude about them, or want to want to take you away from them, and get into self, get into curiosity and compassion and clarity, and calm, and then go to them. Not just, you know, you said get to know them and hear their story. That's one step, but to actually physically in your in this world that we enter when we do this get close to them, hold them, love them, bring them home, and learn about parts they're protecting. Get permission to go to those parts. And then there's a whole process of healing those parts, which is a four or five step process. With, during which, after which, or during which, you can unburden, you release these burdens out of your system, and they transform into the naturally valuable little inner beings, sacred beings that they are born to be. And then you don't, you know, it's it's not uh, then you don't have to wrestle with this anymore because it's out of your system.
1: Right, which is so
2: beautiful because
1: it's so transformative. It's not a tamping down with all this chatter. I shouldn't see prejudice. Yeah, it's exactly. that it's, it's you're not, released.
2: It's not only not a tamping down, it's not also just an acceptance of you know this idea of radical acceptance. No, radically accept and then transform. Yeah. So yeah.
1: I love that. It's the next step. And that's really what the invitation is in true, you know, mindfulness is one aspect of the teachings that's sort of been pulled away. Like, that's like Mm -hmm. you say, it's one step of the process, but there's a longer process. And, you know, you can't pull out one ingredient and say, that's the whole recipe. And here's the Mm -hmm. whole meal. If I, you know, ate cake all day, just because that was the dessert, that would be bad, you know, Um, got to have my Brussels sprouts and my protein.
2: You, you know, you can't, and I've been collaborating with some uh, local Tibetan lamas around all these issues. You can't start taking those steps until you actually believe these aren't just the ego. This isn't just the monkey mind. This isn't, you have to really believe these are parts of you that are worthy of love and attention, just like your own kids.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And and that cuts back to the very basic thing. Again, you mentioned the Tibetan llamas. I'll tell you what was transformative in my personal process was I always thought I was what I was thinking. Right. Mm-hmm. And Lamott's, you know, quote, uh, my mind was like a bad neighborhood. I don't want to go there alone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and this is a, a, a practice, this IFS model of accompaniment to use focusing language, keeping company mm-hmm. with. And, um, and that that we're, as you say, really loving up on them, and really being, uh, you know, uh, caring and, and invested, um, and and that and that this idea of, at a root level, there's nothing wrong with you, and yeah. we're heavily conditioned. You are embodied goodness, and we have imprinting from our early attachment, our early caregivers, as well as our societal structures yeah. that are inherited. And from that place of your essence, your essential self, yourself, your deepest Mm -hmm. self that you can lean in. And I feel like so many times in my own personal experience, I would try to do the right thing. But I never had that invitation, maybe because I was raised Catholic with original sin. Mm -hmm. You're born with a black mark on your soul. You have Mm -hmm. to redeem yourself and all this kind of stuff that even when I would lean into that, it would be like, well, I need to effort to like Mm -hmm. scrub out the black mark. not oh there is no black mark there's just that conditioning that may create behavior that if we understand it can be healed and not be unskillful or or causing harm to yourself or others
2: yeah so all of that i agree with except that they missed the parts piece when you described it so the problem is that if you think of it as just your conditioning then when you do it, you're going to fight against that and you're going to try to ignore it because this is just my conditioned mind. If instead you think, oh, this is a little kid who carries the burden of whatever you're talking about, then you're going to relate very differently. I just think it's my condition. Does really. that make sense?
1: Yeah, and, and, and I guess that I totally agree with you. And and the work that I do with clients all the time is is 90% inner child work <laughs> in some way, shape, or form to do the unburdening transformative process and using a lot of the limbic brain and the imaginal places of can we go to him or her when she was five in that room, in that place? Can we be with them now? And as you say, sometimes you use direct access when there's not enough self-energy within the client to be able to be the accompaniment that wasn't there from the parent or the caregiver or the whatever. And then start that process.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I, when I say conditioning, I guess what I mean is that the conditioning creates the parts that then have the adaptive
2: yeah. uh, the, function. The, bur- the conditioning, in my language, is the burden that came into you. Yes. And the only reason I react to the word is because it's so misused in spirituality.
1: Yeah, I, I I totally get that, and and I don't I we're we're talking about the same thing in the yeah. deepest way, and I and I get what you mean by that. So maybe we can use an example like um you said individualism, materialism, racism, and patriarchy, and I think that the racism and the patriarchy people can kind of notice um, the individualism and materialism. I think might be a little bit more challenging for folks to wrap their head around how that shows up. Could you unpack those a little?
2: Yeah, I think partly why they're, they're harder to unpack is, is we're so imbued with them. We hardly notice their burdens. Just One way about that is uh, what I think about it is the sense that you can't make it your failure, uh, you should be able to use willpower to be able to make it in this country. And that that permeates every level of our capitalist country. It's sort of the ground that capitalism is built on. And that makes everybody constantly feel like they're not good enough. If only I had more willpower I'd be able to control this this addiction I have, right? You know, I can't do that. There's something wrong. And so uh, my, that creates a part that's constantly pushing us, and like an inner critic who's constantly writing us about, do it harder, try harder. And then the economic system is all this creative, this individualistic system. Creates this constant sense, especially in the United States, of fear that we're not going to survive. Just walk down the street and see all the homeless people. And you can just one step away. So you're constantly striving and never having enough. I saw a study where they told people who had twenty-six million
1: dollars. I'm sorry, you cut out a little bit there.
2: I saw a study where they people who had $26 million or more about whether they thought that was enough. People said, no, that's not, not enough. $26
1: thought, million was not enough.
2: Not enough, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying at every level of our culture, we have this not enough feeling because there's no safety net. You know, there's, there's no uh, sense that if the rug was pulled out from underneath, be okay. Because you won't. You won't be okay. And so there's that drives some striving, you know, the the parts that Buddhists call what? uh, Striving and... Yeah, craving. Craving parts. That would be materialism, too. But there's this constant sense of emptiness and a need for to fill that, that bucket with a hole in it. It comes from... Both from the insecurity but also from the sense, from the willpower idea that you're not good enough and if you add to that the burdens of racism and the patriarchy, then you then your exiles carry a lot of feelings not enough of be worthless and all of that then drives these parts to prove them wrong uh, by. Achieving or getting, having all these trophies, trophy houses, uh, to prove that, yeah, indeed you are valuable. And so it's very, very hard for us in this culture to, uh, be happy with what we have and to, you know, that's one of the big lessons, I think, I hope, coming out of this crisis because people are, many people are forced to step out of those, striving, craving parts and listen to other parts of them and uh that have been exiled by those and actually see that maybe I don't need as much as I thought. Maybe, Maybe
1: I don't need as much as I thought. Is that right? Yeah, maybe I don't
2: need as much as I thought. Maybe I don't maybe I enjoy having some leisure. Maybe I enjoy doing other things than worrying about the next customer I have to take care of. And But to do that, there's a lot of unburdening needs to happen, because while we carry these burdens, and we carry all this burdens, and all this fear, and all this uh, sense of hurt, it's very, very hard for these protectors to relax, so it's a combination of of uh, new experience, which is what we're having now with the virus, but then also doing a lot of healing. So with many, many clients now, we're getting to parts we couldn't before because their usual firefighter activities aren't available, and now their exiles are in their face. So that's the actual benefit of this time, if people use it that way, right? Instead, many people are just suffering because, I mean, there's a lot of real suffering happening around people getting sick and dying so also losing their jobs, worrying for good reason about right. uh, you know, where the money's going to come from. And in contrast to many other countries, they're not helping people much. Give you know, them little $1,200 checks and so on. But there are lots of other countries where they, they keep this out. And as, as Maslow pointed out many, many years ago, if your basic survival needs aren't taken care of, it's very hard to be creative. It's very hard to lose IQ points simply because you're not anywhere near yourself. Right. So I'm ranting on and on. I know no,
1: no, was, it's good. It's uh, good. Um, no, I, it's it's all appropriate. It's all appropriate so I that whole idea of the individualism and it being like even twenty six million dollars isn't enough, and you know mm-hmm. and that's true, right like that whole root of like never enough, mm-hmm. and also like that's sort of the way I feel like the self improvement stuff doesn't really work with the affirmation piece of like well it's never going to be enough if we're just pu- you know putting lipstick on a pig if we're just like you know changing the Shingles where, you know, like we're, we really have to kind of, it's a process of transformation. And I know that a lot of the neuroscience research talks a lot about how limbically in our subcortical structures and stuff, there is a change that happens when you actually undergo a shift or a transformation that doesn't happen when you're just engaging what we might call left brain thinking that's more cognitive, like people are using with cognitive behavioral therapy. Can you talk about how IFS like has, like, I I keep telling people, like, listen, when you feel the shift, and it's like unburdened, then it's not gonna be so difficult anymore. So, yeah. leaning, leaning in is not easy, yeah. but we can do that together. That's you right. won't have this thing.
2: That's my sales pitch. I'm a what I call a hope merchant. Right. And, and I'm working with these protective parts that don't wanna go anywhere near that limbic place. They don't wanna, which is where the exiles operate. Well, these exiles uh, are in the, they do affect the limbic system, and if you don't get to them, it's not going to change. And so you have to be very convincing to these protectors that we're not going there to just grovel in it to be overwhelmed. We're going there to actually unload all this stuff that you're so afraid of. We're going to ship out of the system of the fear and terror and the sense of worthlessness and the, feeling like I don't belong in the world, feeling of betrayal, all those things that these young and vulnerable parts of us carry, uh, that can all be sent out of your system, but you've got to give us permission. And we don't do it without permission. You've got to give us permission to open that door.
1: So How do you get the leverage to use to get the
2: permission? Just the way I was saying, I, I'm, I'm doing sales. I'm, I'm saying I get that this is a terrifying prospect, Actually, opening that door and you've kept it closed for 30 years for good reason because every time you open it in the past, you'd be overwhelmed and you couldn't get out of bed, and, you know. But this is going to be different, I promise, and I'll be there the whole time. And we can do it without the overwhelm, we can do it without because it's just a little kid that's stuck back in this terrible place. We can get that kid out of there we can unload everything that the kid carries, and I promise we can do it. And you don't have to do it. You don't have to give us permission, but I guarantee we can if you do. It's a very seductive pitch. So most protective parts go for it, especially if I'm in self when I say it. If I'm coming from those eight Cs, protectors sense the, the confidence is one of the Cs. They sense, well, this guy sounds like he knows what he's doing. You just give it a try. So, yeah, well, there is confidence
1: because you, you you've been doing it for so long. You know, this this whole and, and you're I mean, it works. Um, I mean, you know, I, I always say, you know, like if I'm doing work with someone, it's like I'm just a co-facilitator guide here, like the Sherpa thing, but everything you need is already in there. We're just right. pointing to it. And as you say, making sure it's cooperative enough so that we can not get extra pushback, you know, um, and that it's all okay. And we'll end up on the other side and it may be unfamiliar, but that doesn't mean that it's bad. It may be Definitely. uncertain what the good feeling will be, uh, cause we haven't felt it yet or not in a while, but it's going to be good. Trust me.
2: <laughs> and I'll be with you the whole time.
1: Yes. Really yes. Well, that's the relational field, right? Mm-hmm. You, as the therapist, or you, mm-hmm. as the coach, if you're using an IFS coaching model and not as an mm-hmm. IFS therapeutic model, really mm-hmm. leaning into if you don't feel like you have enough self energy there for you already, I'm here with you in here this, you. in that's my right. functional space of being right. loving and relational.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
1: So about the shame, I want to share with you something I've been thinking a lot about, and I just want to try it on for size and see. I've thought about this um, in terms of, say, for example, and this could be true of a lot of populations, but advantaged populations here in the United States, which might be lighter white skin privilege advantage. It might be social class advantage. It might be educational advantage, but folks that maybe, for example, you would say, Aren't currently under the same kind of marginalization that are revealed around the fractures that you see, for example, with COVID, right? Um, typically, not that. That it's sort of about shame as moral injury, um, and and you know, sort of the definition I see is shame. Moral injury refers to an injury to an individual's moral conscience and values resulting from an act of perceived moral transgression which produces profound emotional guilt and shame and in some cases always a sense also a sense of betrayal anger and profound moral disorientation. Mm And then my theory out of that is that the use of shame, and this would be your parts work in terms of how this manifests for the person, the little kid inside, that the shame potentially often with lighter white skin privileged or advantage folks just say for the purposes of this is used to avoid grief, remorse, attunement, accountability, compassionate action and justice, to, and to protect against heartbrokenness. Right. Like the Leonard Cohen piece, you know, the the crack is where the light gets in, but that there's no real sense that the light would ever get in. You know, um, that the shame is 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 that I'm sort of identified with the shame because it's serving a purpose. It's serving the purpose to protect me. Yeah. I don't know if you feel but that moral injury felt like to me, wow, if I have some advantage because I'm inheriting this um, history of colonization or imperialism or something like that. Mm-hmm. That in a way there's something cooked into that, that is almost like a moral injury to to me as a culture, as a race, as a people. Also, yeah.
2: yeah.
1: I don't know. Does that? How does yeah. that land for yeah. you? Yeah,
2: it, it does land. So, one of the qualities of self is self sees clarity, sees injustice and imbalance, and self acts to counter that uh, at all levels. And there are parts that, because of the privilege mentioned, um, are afraid to act. And even though the self sees that, they can't let you be self-led. And so they'll use a variety of tactics to keep yourself uh, obscured. And one of them is to be overly shamed and, uh, and you know, there's such a thing as healthy shame, but there's the shame that it's protectors trying to, to keep you from acting and to, to talk a good game. And, but there are lots of other protectors that make you blind, to try to not see the imbalance or use what we were talking about earlier, the uh, individualism and within individualism is this idea of meritocracy so the, the cream rises, you know, that the people who, yes, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of imbalance, there's a lot of disparity in our country, but it's really because those people aren't motivated, they, mm. they're, not, they're not trying hard enough, and us successful people, uh, you know, are, are responsible for ourselves, and we, we made it and and this is the land of opportunity so
1: right that reminds me of the 80s I grew up in with Reagan like the whole welfare queens and things Exactly, but, yeah
2: yeah that's classic and and that's still the immigrants now are the ones who are exploiting our country and and uh, so that's a classic protector move and it's you know it's all parallel within trauma survivors too uh, you see all those parts you have you have a part that that uh, is very, very contemptuous of vulnerability, for example, and blames your vulnerability for getting you hurt. And in the, the thing you saw with Duran, you know, she was having to work with that part because many, many uh, uh, press groups have that too. They have the sense that if I'm ever vulnerable, I'm going to get attacked. Right. And, and so they, they never let themselves go to those places. So, yeah, these are all different ways. But going back to to uh, people with privilege, we, in order to stay and not act, we have to have all these protectors who are justifying our our privilege and keeping ourselves at bay. And so, it's very hard to be fully self-led in this culture. And uh, and uh, be critical. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I, sorry. And, but- and, and, and that's some of my message, is that while material, materially it feels good and your life is easy in a lot of ways and better, it takes a huge toll on your psyche to, yes. to live in a culture like this and to be in this position in the culture. But it takes a huge toll on people at the other end as well it's a different kind of tool Uh, but you you have to steal your heart you have to uh, yeah yeah you have to be dominated by the parts that got you there so
1: what you just said is sort of the crux of what i've been trying to work on and i so appreciate that because i really think that it's like this is good for all of us you're not doing something for someone else or for some other oppressed group that, you know, our liberation is interbound. We yeah. are, it, you know, not from the like early COVID language around like we're all in the same boat. Well, mm-hmm. actually, we may be in boats, but other people are getting thrown off the boat. They don't have any oars. Mm-hmm. There's no supplies. Right. You know? so, like, some
2: of us are in, uh, you know, in yachts and some of us are- <laughs> <laughs> right. Right.
1: Yeah, know that. I'll never forget that now deleted David, Inst- David Geffen post where he was having his, his yacht there and he's like, hope everyone's staying safe. Right. And I'm like, thanks, billionaire music mogul for resonating with no one right now, <laughs> you know. Um, I actually wrote a poem about it. But um, this idea of, broadly speaking, leaning into the personal shame-triggering burden parts as a portal to collective embodied liberation. That, to me, is the both-and that we need to be able to have. Like my personal process, I'll speak from my experience, I needed to start with, there's nothing wrong with me. Oh, I have learned behavior. I have these parts that have inherited burdens from small micro nuclear family stuff, basic cultural stuff and larger societal and ancestral and whatever stuff. And that from the place of there is an essential self, there is my deepest self, my self energy there, knowing there's nothing wrong with that. How could there be? It's a collective consciousness. It's the wisdom of of all of how we came into being and how we We'll find our way through all of this. That from that place, I can establish relationship with the parts, and then internally about oh, I'm too fat. Oh, I don't fit into this. I mean, I used to be a TV news anchor. You have no idea what it was like. Can imagine, yeah. You know what I mean? Like to have to be whatever. I mean, the self talk and and that part of it was like, well, you need to fit in the box to survive and to do your job, but I'm never gonna look like that blonde lady on Fox News. It's not who I am. It's not how I was created to be in the world. And my push away or trying to make myself be that is no different from the craving you talk about with the $26 million not being enough for someone.
2: Totally the same.
1: It's just how it manifested in me locally. That's right,
2: that's right.
1: But once I started to unpack that work, Then I started to look at the structural stuff that you're talking about. Even though I'm multi-ethnic, I grew up pretty much with lighter white skin privilege in a pretty ignorant place. Like I really hadn't done the bigger work around those bigger issues because I was too caught in my own pain. So I love that this IFS, that the IFS model and that this aspect of it with these cultural burdens, the patriarchy, the, you know, Materialism, individualism, and racism that you're inviting people to do the both and there.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I do a lot of work now with social activists, for example, and they're often coming from parts themselves. And when that's the case, they're just going to replicate. So, how do you act without relying on these parts that are so motivated by? The pain they carry, the over or the sense of injustice from a righteous place. And how can you act for yourself as an activist while keeping those parts of your body but in an unburdened state so they can help you see the injustice and keep you on the path. But also, when you relate your message or, or do your, act, your social action. Do it from this place. Hmm. And if you can, it'll be much, much more effective. So,
1: yeah, that place of love and connection to self yeah. in that way that, like, this, knowing that we're being held by our self energy.
2: Well, yeah. And also that when you can be in, so it's like you have x ray vision. You see past the protectors of your enemy, and you see the exiles that are driving those protectors. And so you can do it knowing that they're, you know, they're suffering and you're still going to stop them. Like when I look at Trump, I see all these protectors that we've been talking about. But you also see this little hurt little boy in there, so desperate for attention and accolades and power. And that's not going to stop me from trying to get rid of him. I know out of office. But uh, but it does make the action come from a different place. And the the big deal for me is this is a, a bit of a metaphysical kind of position, but it's my belief that self isn't just in us, that it's that there's a, a field of self, that planet has a self and, and that there's a field of self in the planet or around the planet. And that every time we unburden personally or we unburden groups or we unburden we're releasing more that field onto this plane, onto this planet. And that if once we get to a critical mass of self, then things can change very fast because that's what happens to individuals working with a client, seems like a total hopeless mess. But I access the critical mass of self, and everything starts to change very quickly. Right. So that's what keeps me going, is even our little individual actions are adding to that larger field that can actually make things change in this planet. And that there are also planetary burdens. And it's funny, you see, it's like a Trump shows up here, but he's also showing up in six different countries.
1: Yeah, Hungary, yeah,
2: whatever. Yeah, yeah. Hungary, exactly. And it's, it's like they've got the same playbook. And it's, it's like the same heart has taken over a different person. Right. And so there are those planes, too, or there are clouds that kind of obscure the self. And so as we unburden personally and clients, we're Reducing the clouds and obscuring the self of the planet. I don't know if that makes any sense. No,
1: it makes total sense to me. Basically, what I hear you saying is whether or not you're Bolsonaro and I'm, I'm you know, in Brazil, whether you're the, you know, guy in the Philippines, whether you're Trump, whether you're whatever it is, is that they're wounded children, basically, inside, right? That the parts are wounded and that they're trying to do this striving, craving to be important, to get noticed, to feel affirmed, to whatever it is, to get loved, to be attached, to feel safe, whatever and that um that there's a the place there where that you're connecting with that so that when you are in self when you have healed your own parts when you have gotten to do that transformative work that you say can really shift quickly the way in which you work to effort collective social action around trying to bring more into balance these other you know sort of either political or or social justice or whatever the language is that you want to use comes from a deeper place Sorry. Of connection and compassion, but then that, but then also the action, because you're doing the work inside. You can show up and do the action, without so much of the overwhelm. You're not yeah,
2: yeah, and your your parts that that worry that you're gonna look bad, or worry that you're gonna get rejected by somebody if you if you try, because now they trust you and you have a good relationship with them. They're not gonna interfere with you doing that action yeah and, and the parts that used to blind you to the injustice or keep your heart covered so you didn't feel it now trust the sake to let you feel and once once self comes you act and it's fairly effortless it's not like you've got to gear yourself up to do it you do it because now you're part of that field it's healing
1: I love that. And, and, and we're going to pretty much start to wind down now, but this healing field, I think is, um, you know, I've been talking to a lot of indigenous leaders and a lot of folks who, um, you know, are psychoanalysts and psychologists and stuff too that are coming from the Chicano tradition or the, you know, Latino traditions. And they're talking so much about, you know, well, it's the land. Well, it's the way, well, it's the, you know, and ceremony. And that that's what I hear you saying in, in your language. Um, that we're not, that we're necessarily interdependent with all things, that all things are alive or however you want to think about it, but that there's not the othering, the separation. And that when we do our inner work, we become some of the seeds that are planted for new growth in that energy field that is for the planet or beyond.
2: Yeah. And I, I totally agree with all of that too, that when you really access self, you restore your connection to the earth has been cut off uh, by the view of the earth and some of it comes from science as inert and as something that's full of resources for us to exploit back to its mother earth, its guy. You know, the, one way to think about the crisis we're in now is that uh, since the industrial revolution which is about 200 years ago before that there was way, way, way fewer people, and we didn't have the power to hurt the planet the way we do now. And the last two centuries, we've got exploded in population, but also in technology, such that we now are really severely threatening the health of the planet. And just like with. Uh, With some of these type A clients we have that are driven constantly, but they always will crash because that's just those parts will take you, because those parts don't care about your body. They don't care about your relationships. Right. So then you're going to have some kind of crash, at which point that's an opportunity to actually totally change. This is that for the planet. And because we've deforested so much gone so much in some wilderness areas, it's released these viruses that now are kind of corrected to scale us back and make us re examine all this stuff that we've been doing. And so it's the Earth's way of trying to heal itself. Because one way to look at it, even though that sounds cold blooded, it's so much suffering. But I I actually believe that this is a big wake up call. And uh, It'd be great if we actually took advantage of it.
1: On that note, Dr. Richard Schwartz, uh, Schwartz, Dick Schwartz, the creator of the Internal Family Systems Model, I am so excited we had this conversation. I really, I can't, I can't, um, I can't express enough how much I appreciate I'm getting emotional even thinking about it, to be honest, that I feel like you get it. Thank you. Thank you,
2: Jessica. I try, you know, it's, it's take a lot of work, personal work. I know it's a process. Uh, on me, I've had to unburden lots of legacy burdens to, to get it. Right. I'm working at it. And, uh, and I also want to say that uh, Ram Das was an early big influence on me too. So it's an honor to be, be part of his network.
1: Yes. And his spirit lives on through conversations like this. And, um, you know, even though his... his physical body left the planet uh not too long ago and um you know again just the invitation coming inside in order to then be able to just show up in this embodied way um i just think it's a beautiful model that you have a beautiful framework and uh i really um again appreciate all of what you've done
2: so um
1: and continue to do
2: thank you thank you
1: yeah. Any last thoughts, Dick, that you want to share with anyone before we go? Just,
2: uh, yeah, it's just really fun to talk to you always. So uh, you, you pull a lot of stuff out of me that I don't really talk about. Well,
1: I guess that's, if it's okay, then a good thing. <laughs>
2: it's, it's good. It's really good.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, Dick. Thanks all to the listeners. Uh, Dick Schwartz, the, the website uh, is, uh, is it IFS Institute?
2: ifsinstitute.com
1: ifsinstitute.com you can learn about training and uh, all of Dick's work and books and things like that all right take good care and stay safe and be well